All right, so we have new decor in the room. And this is to re we reflect this idea of like a, like a space theme, like cosmic outer space. Christmas Eve this year, it's going to be indoors. I know you're like, Christmas Eve? Look, Costco's got stuff up. You're going to be fine. <laughs> Christmas Eve uh, this year, we're doing this thing called The Future. And, we're gonna, and I had this idea of like, you know, like uh, Disneyland, the, the future area, whatever it was and all that. And so they came in and this is their, they, they run with this on the take of it. And it's, really, it's kind of cosmic. So when we did the prayer series, we thought, ah, cosmic as well. So it's, they did a really good job this week and spent a lot of time here. And not that I have an opinion about everything in the world, um, but, but when we turned on the lights, some of the stars were hanging in front of the, the white lights, and when those white lights hit the star, they spun in my face and yours. So they even then had to come and move those again. I know, I know, they're so nice and kind. All right, so we, we are starting this new series today. A couple things in that. This is the journal that goes along for the next 13 weeks of this series. If you have that with you, there is not a place to take notes in that today. It just kind of gives you all that we're going through. This is why we have these prayer journals. And if you are someone who likes to take notes, grab a prayer journal as well, and you can write inside of that. So sermon notes are in here, prayer journals you can write in for notes, and then all the daily devotions and stuff just kind of go forward from what is in here. And I keep telling you this, like, we, we have these cool little bookmarks. So if you are reading something else at the same time, you put this in your other book so when you see it, you feel guilty and go back and do this. And then go read your book. Okay. Andrew's going to be like, what is this on my music stand back here? Uh, one other thing we're trying to do uh, during this series, we started something called QCGs, Quick Connect Groups. Uh, they are not gospel communities. If you are someone who is kind of leery about stepping into gospel community, you think, I don't have the time right now to connect that way. We're doing these QCGs as a way over the next eight weeks for you to step into something. And maybe you, maybe you go to one one night and then it's like, I, I can't make that night, but I still want to go. Well, there's one's different nights during the week, and you can just hop into a different one. And it's just kind of a way to connect and talk about what we're going through in the messages to reflect and go a little bit deeper into what we're talking about. And so Sarah has a list of all of those QCGs if you want to connect with one. Again, it's not a gospel community. If you want to connect to a gospel community, that's a different thing. You can talk to her about, her about that as well. But this is a way, if you're having a hard time connecting right now, your life's just a little bit hectic, we still want to be able to help you to do that. And so if you go to one, it's like, I don't like these people. Great. Maybe they don't like you either. And you just go to another one and just you know, check one out. We just want you to be able to connect a little bit deeper, especially through the midst of this series. You know something funny yesterday? Uh, they, we did the holiday market that was out here on the property yesterday, and Donna Ernest, uh, she does these scones, and they are excellent. And she was doing scones at like, oh, not a paid sponsor. Um, <laughs> Although she did give me a cookie yesterday. It was awesome. Anyway, uh, and so she had this at three different places, and she puts this thing up on Facebook that says, if you go to each of these places and take my little sign up, and you go to all these ones, then if you go to all three get it signed off, you're going to be entered into a drawing to win something. And I responded, because I don't really check Facebook that often. My Facebook updates from my Instagram, which I don't check that often either. So if you send me something either place, I don't know. And, and, I, just, and I saw it yesterday morning. I went, this is brilliant. She texted me immediately and said, I think you, your Facebook account's been hacked because I was nice. <laughs> yeah, and not snarky at all. 
Hey, welcome. If you're new to Element, uh, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Uh, the sermon notes are, again, in those booklets, and you can take notes in the booklets. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on More and then Events in Uversion. We will come up by GPS in your smart device, and you will get uh, the verses we're going through. You'll get some of the notes and anything else Sarah talked about today. That will all be in there. Uh, why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This is Isaiah 65, verse 24, and it says, Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being a God who hears us even before we even know what we're going to say. And we thank you that you are personal in a way that you step into our lives and we can have a relationship with you. And that relationship is something that you have first started with us. And I ask as we walk through this series, we come to a place where we are just undone by the intimacy that you want to have with your people. And so we would hear you and your spirit leading us. And on the backside of all of this, we'd be a people who learn to pray and communicate with you more and more. Amen. Have a seat. Okay, so we are starting this new series called Prayer. And I think it's interesting because prayer is something that a lot of people feel guilty about because they think they don't actually do it enough. Like, I could ask a lot of you guys to do just about anything around here. Someone spills something, you'll clean it up, move a chair, help someone to their car. But if I ask you to pray, not just like, hey, pray no one steals Joey, but like pray out loud in front of a group of people, you'll be like, what are you doing? It's like you'd rather wrestle sharks with laser beam eyes or alligators or something. Please just don't ask me to pray out loud. And that's so weird to me that we find it so hard to do that. And I think many times what we, is we think people are going to judge us or we don't think we're praying well enough or, or we don't know what to say. Some people think prayer is just this esoteric thing that religious people do that really has no bearing on our lives. And this is why we're going to do this series all the way up until Christmas, 13 weeks, and then a couple after as well, but we want to do this so we can learn how to talk about and understand what prayer is better, what it is, what it isn't, how Jesus taught us to pray, or look at how people prayed in the Bible, and you're going to be surprised because a lot of the prayers in the Bible are not what you think. Many times it's people just being brutally honest before God as they seek intimacy with Him, and so I hope you're ready to take this uh, with us. I was going to call this series Before They Call or Before You Call based on the verse I had you stand for, but we decided prayer was better, so we'd not want to confuse you even more, so you're welcome for that. Our desired element is that we would become this praying people. There's this great book, and, and yes, by you know my favorite author I talk about is a guy named Tim Keller. He writes a book, it's called Prayer, uh, but the subscript of that is Experiencing Awe and Intimacy with God, which is where I want all of us to get to. And again, it's going to take a few weeks to, to get to that place. Some things in this series are taken directly out of that book. Some things are taken from other places. I'm going to quote to you as best I can where everything is coming from. So if you want to read something, you can go and read it yourself. In every religion in the world, prayer is central to what communion with God is supposed to look like. And it's the heart of what we believe. But really, what is prayer? And how do people pray? Muslims are called to pray five times a day. Jews traditionally pray three times a day. Christians are called, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, to pray without ceasing. How do you even do that? When do you sleep? When do you eat? What does that look like? And we're going to talk about that in, in one of these weeks. Throughout church history, you will see things like common prayer and private prayer and pastoral prayer. But what does it all mean? Today I'm going to give you lots of quotes. I'm going to kind of meander in a way to get to where I want to go. But 
but I don't have points today. We're just going to kind of start in one place and hopefully bring the idea of prayer down to something that you can understand better what it actually is. And that's going to be the launching point for this series. Uh, prayer is not just limited to religions who believe in one God. Uh, there are religions all over the world that have more than one God, and they pray. Uh, Buddhists, some Buddhists don't even believe in God at all, but they will have these prayer wheels. And these prayer wheels fling prayers into the atmosphere, prayers of compassion, because they believe if they can get the spiritual and the natural to come together, it's going to relieve suffering and relieve kindness. Hindus will pray to several gods, hoping to unite with the one supreme God, Brahman, so they can escape from the cycles of reincarnation. Papago Indians in the U.S. Southwest pray through singing, and you will see even very secular people today say things like, oh, we'll pray for this, or we'll pray for peace, or our prayers are with you. Prayer is the most common phenomenon in the human life. Studies are now showing that even in secularized countries, prayer continues to be practiced not only by those who say they have no religious preference, but by those who say they don't believe in God at all. Like a recent study came out and they said that nearly 30% of people who called themselves atheists prayed sometimes. I don't know who they're praying to, but they pray sometimes. 17% of non-believers said they actually pray regularly. Again, we don't know what that means. And if you don't know this, the frequency of prayer increases the older that you get. You know why? Because the older you get, the more help you need. <laughs> I woke up this morning and my neck hurt just a tiny bit. And I'm like, oh, so I grabbed a door frame and I, and I hung from the door frame to kind of stretch out my back and then my whole back went, Gah! so I am in so much pain right now. I'm like, dear God, please help me. I'm praying. See, it's, it, it's great. It's great. Uh, now, don't mistake me. It does not mean that every prayer that people pray are to the one true God. Uh, those atheists who pray, other atheists complain about them saying, well, you're not a real atheist if you're praying. The reality is that prayer is a global phenomenon. It inhabits every culture and every people. It involves the overwhelming majority of the human race at some point in their lives. Anthropologists have been trying to find a culture somewhere at some point in some remote isolated area without some form of religion and prayer, and they've never been able to find one. There's always been some form of an attempt to communicate between the human and the divine. Sociologically speaking, there seems to be a human instinct for it. Karl Barth once called it our incurable God sickness. That inside of us, we are a people who need God intimately in our lives. Now, again, having said all that, just because prayer seems to be universal, again, does not mean that everybody prays the same way or to the same God. Native American shamanists, they work towards religious trances. Monks chant in monasteries. Soccer moms practice yoga. Right? Uh, 17th century, there are these long pastoral prayers by Puritan ministers. Charismatic churches, they speak in tongues. Uh, Muslims engage in sujood, which is where you bow your forehead, your hands, your knees towards Mecca. Uh, you have Hasidism, which is where you sway and bow. Catholic and Anglican priests, they read from prayer books. And it's no wonder people get confused about prayer. Even in the Bible, you see a myriad of ways that people pray. In Ezra 9, arms outstretched and on your knees. Uh, 1 Samuel 1, silent while moving our lips. Uh, Matthew 26, falling on our face. Exodus 15, dancing and singing. Exodus 12, standing and bowing your head. There's falling to the ground in Job 1. There is standing and shouting in 2 Chronicles 20. There is clapping your hands in Psalm 4. Imagine that you're praying to be like, God, yay. I don't whatever. Okay. Uh, there is bowing down and kneeling in Psalm 95. There is dancing with tambourine and harps in Psalm 149. And when we pray today, please don't. 
Okay? It's, it'd be awkward for anybody who's new. And when I say that, I mean for me too. So just throwing it out there. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, there's lifting up holy hands. And the list kind of goes on and on. So people get a little bit confused. How do I do this? What does it mean? Are they just dead rituals? How do we actually pray? From a secular standpoint, Sigmund Freud used a Darwinian model that theorized that prayer was just a way for human beings to adapt to their environment when they were very afraid. So according to the theory, prayer began when the collective human mind, this is his quote, was similar to the mentality of a child and the neurotic, the chief trait of which is infantile magical thinking. That's how he thought about prayer. As time went on, he says prayer becomes more meditative, where we go inward and seek that inner peace. And so we have all these efforts to kind of just get ourselves feeling better. And now many theorists that run with Freud's model say that prayer is born from pre-scientific efforts to use religion to control the world. And they say that, well, since science has emerged, prayer is going to be no longer needed and it will go away. And the funny thing has happened. It's actually gotten more important to people. Prayer has actually increased in the world since they have said that. In the 20th century, Carl Jung, who's a psychologist, believed that human individuals are part of a cosmic life force and that we will only come into health and wholeness as we realize our oneness with all of reality. I know, sounds like Star Wars, right? Carl Jung was like, oh, the force is in the tree, it is in the rock, it is in you. Hmm. Pray you shall. Okay? That is my best Yoda I got. That's all I got. Okay? Okay, so Jung's followers discouraged the idea that you should ever seek contact with a personal God because it was really all about you. And I tell you this because the Freudian and Jungian concepts of prayer and religion, like one does not believe, one believes some weird Star Wars thing, they both say that contemplation on its own is the higher and more sophisticated kind of prayer rather than any petition to a personal God. Basically, they say it's all about you. Go inside you. Figure out you. And I tell you this all the time. That is a recipe for disaster because it is not all about us. Now, there's a myriad of ways in the world that people want to tear down this idea of personal prayer to a personal God. Uh, Frederick Heiler was a German scholar, and he tried to show the difference about this. And so he talked about mystical prayer as found in Eastern religions, which really reflects a lot of how Freud talked about it or how Jung talked about it. And then Christian prayer, which he will call prophetic prayer prayer. Many Eastern scholars say that mystic prayer is the most pure because it is the most self-centered. How about that, right? Mystical religion sees wordless contemplation as the highest form of prayer because the farther you can go inside of yourself, the more you will connect to your inner godness and you will become part of God. Do you know that yoga, that's the whole point of yoga, is to get you there. I know some of you yoga and you're like, no, it's just about stretching. I can't stretch right now. Obviously, my back is killing me. But, you know, it's just about stretching. Well, the whole point of yoga initially was that, to try and get you to that place that's all about you. And so Heiler contrasts this to the passionate crying and groaning, the wrestling verbal prayer of prophetic religion, of how Christians are meant to pray. And this is the kind of prayers you see in the Bible with the prophets and the psalmists and Jesus and the apostles. Heller says a mystical prayer, he says, mystical prayer entails a long process of purgation, meaning you're trying to purge yourself of all of these things. Weary climbing by degrees to the heights of vision and union with God, meaning the worshiper is trying to do all of these things to get a state of heightened inner understanding of pure love where you become fit by your own efforts to stand before whatever God, whether it's you or whatever, that you can then walk out in that goodness because you figured it out. And that sadly is how many Christians see prayer today. 
I've got to figure it out. I've got to do these things. And therefore, then God will love me because I've cleaned up my own life. But the Bible says the opposite of that is true. The Bible teaches that prayer is not a way of purifying yourself for God. It teaches us that prayer is how we rely on God's grace to bring us into the presence of God. That prayer and communication with him is because of something that he has actually done. Prayer is not about our discovery. Prayer is not about our achievement, like how good do I do it? I don't want to pray out loud. What will people think? What will I think? What will God think? Prayer is about what God has first done in his work in us. Heidler puts it like this. While mystical prayer tends towards the loss of the boundary between self and God, prophetic prayer leads to a much greater sense of the difference between the self and the majestic God, an awareness of sinfulness. Now, some people will say that awareness of sinfulness, well, that pulls us out of a relationship with God. Actually, it's the opposite. He goes, it reveals in the grace that nonetheless opens the way to intimacy with God. We understand the grace, and it draws us closer into intimacy with God. I hope I haven't lost you yet. I'm going to get down to the practical in just a moment. I'm trying to lay the groundwork for this. Heidegger believed that prayer that assumed God's personality was better than conversation to a mystical nobody that was really going inside of yourself. Uh, Jonathan Edwards actually liked the idea that prayer was mystical, but also personal. He says this, In divine contemplation and prayer, I had a view that for me was extraordinary, of the glory of the Son of God as mediator between God and man, and His wonderful, great, full, pure, and sweet grace and love. So he takes this understanding of who God is. He meditates on that, not emptying his mind, but thinking about who God is. And then he will then say, so prayer is a verbal response of faith to a transcendent God who has spoken to us in his word and his grace. I think Jonathan Edwards is one of the greatest preachers America ever produced. And that means that prayer is not this inward descent to discover that you are one with God and all things. That prayer is meant to lead to a personal encounter with a personal God. And everybody who tells you it's all about you going inside of you, it's not. It's about reaching outside of ourselves and speaking to a God who has loved us enough to show himself to us. And I know that sounds like a lot, but now let's make this a little more simple, okay? Got the groundwork, you're like, you lost me 10 minutes ago, great. Now refocus, okay? Prayer is communication with God, but we must know who God is or we will start to make prayer all about us. Now, let me just, again, bring this down practically. In premarital counseling, when I talk to people, I tell them that the one word that makes a marriage last other than the word love is this word called commitment. And when things are tough and hard, commitment takes you through all of these things. But really, almost the second most important thing is communication, that we have to communicate to one another. And prayer is that communication with our great God who has first been committed to us to bring us in relationship with himself. So we then come as a response committed to him. Now, it may sound rudimentary, but, but go with me as we talk a little bit here about communication. I've told you this before, and I've apologized to you multiple times, but I am acutely aware of all my shortcomings. I have been told by people that they don't think that I think that they are important, and I think most of you are important. No, I think all of you are important. I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> but people feel that way because I have been in a conversation with some of you, and in the middle of the conversation, I'm like, da da da, and my brain just clicks to something else. I'm like, da da da, and I just walk off, and you're like, Oh, see? See? Some of you are like, yep, I've been that. I've been there. Okay. Again, this is, this is not you. This is me. It is a deficiency in my own head. I do not know why it happens. I don't even realize half the time it happens. Uh, some people on the staff are like, hey, you were talking. I'm like, I, what? And I had no idea that I actually just walked away. So this, this is a problem. Now, many problems around element can be directly traced either to my communication or really communication in general. 
I am the worst. That's why I like to preach, because I can take a message, I can walk this, I love the Word of God, I love talking about it, and I can walk you through from one side to the other. But there are some times that I frustrate our staff, our board, our elders, because I will just click and I will do something without communicating. Here's a good example. Um, earlier last year, uh, when COVID's kind of coming to the end and, and we're meeting together outside, inside, how we're doing these things, me and a couple of people on staff just made this plan. This is what we're gonna do. And so we just did it. I didn't talk to the board, didn't talk to the elders, and some people on the board found out from the email update. And I apologize profusely because I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. Because you know that's not how they're supposed to find out about things. They're supposed to know what's going on. But sometimes it just happens like that. See, we must be a people who communicate with God. As frustrated if you were on our board that that was to you, Imagine God having a people he has called to himself and loved, and we're like, I'm going to go do my own thing. And we never even talk to him. Communication is important because God is a personal God. And that's what we want this series to be about, understanding who God is, but also how personal he is. I know some people who think God has not or never has communicated with them, and he has. And that's because a lot of times I'll get this question. People will say, well, what does God want for my life? And we assume that God's will for our life is this tiny little dot. And we've got to find that dot. And if we miss that dot, we missed out on all that God intended for our lives. And we're frustrated because like, God's not telling me what that dot is. I can't find that dot. You want to know what God's will is? It is huge. It is serve, love, glorify. That's what God wants for your life. Can you, you can do that in just about anything you do. I mean, don't sling meth on the corner, but just about anything you can do, you can serve, love, and glorify God in that thing. You go to the garden, right? Everybody focuses on the fall, which is a horrible thing. But before the fall, what could Adam and Eve do in this garden? Anything anything except disobey and break relationship with God because their life was founded on that relationship. So God communicates to them. God has communicated to us that he wants a relationship with us. How important is communication in your relationships? It's so important. The better you know somebody, the deeper your communication can then become. Husbands and wives, if you stop talking, you will start dying. You have to communicate with one another. If you're a guy and you're married, tell your wife that she is beautiful, that she is sexy, that she is amazing, that she is precious, and all the things that she does. Tell her how wonderful those things are. Because if you don't, she might try and find that somewhere else because she thinks that you don't love her or you don't care about her. Ladies, tell your husbands how awesome they are. Even if they're not, tell them anyway, because guys like to hear it. I mean, just find something they do and say, this is awesome. You're so good at this. You have the remote control of the TV like nobody else in the world. <laughs> See, you know. <laughs> I, I'm so proud of you. You can switch channels. You can turn it up and down. Wow. You know. You take the trash out like nobody else. A couple years ago, uh, Sean Jones and I were playing an acoustic set like we were last week. And after service was over, my wife says to me, I forget how good of a guitar player you are. And I was like, oh, I've been writing on that for two years. <laughs> She'll get mad at me, you're all get mad at her, and I'll think, yeah, but you know what she said about your guitar playing? It is so important to communicate to one another when you're married. You know this. How about if you're a parent and, and you have kids? Kids cannot read your mind. And I know you're like, but I told my kid this a hundred times. Yeah, you were a kid once. You know how well you retain information your parents say. So you need to keep communicating and talking to them and telling them what is going on. 
if you are younger and, and you have parents who've been asking you to do certain things, you got to communicate with your parents. If you don't tell them where you are or what you're doing, you're going to remain grounded your entire life. If you are going to start a restaurant and you make the best pizza in the world, but you don't tell anybody, how is anybody ever going to know? You have to communicate. Why do we think it's any less with our relationship with God? Why? Why? You know, why do we think our relationship with God is ever going to develop if we do not spend time with him, if we do not talk to him? Because God is a personal God. It is not a one-way street. Communication is central. Uh, Keller asked this question, what is the essence of prayer? How can we define it so that we are able to make sense of its pervasiveness in human life and yet grow in faithful practice towards real prayer? Well, part of it is understanding that we have first all been made in the image of God. Okay, we are, we are stamped with God's image, and that means certain things, that we are designed to reflect who he is in personal ways. Uh, John Calvin called this the divinitatis sensum. be great on a t-shirt, because what that means is the sense of deity, that all human beings are made in the image of God, so we're stamped with a sense of deity. Not that you are God, but we are stamped with his image. This is what Calvin says, There is within the human mind, and indeed by natural instinct, an awareness of divinity. The seed of religion is planted in all. And when we hear religion, we think, ah, oh, this is, that was good for them. And what he's saying is the same thing that Karl Barth said. There is an incurable God sickness in us. It is there. We want to reach out. Even if we don't even know who God is, there's something that wants to reach out to him. In Romans 1, 19 and 20, it says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. This is why there can be a catastrophe in the world that triggers a primal knowledge where people just cry out in prayer, God, help. They don't even know who he is, and yet we cry out. We start communicating. Uh, John Owen was an English theologian, and he believed this natural impulse just to cry out and to pray is present in all people. He called it the original in the law of nature the original in who we are. And then he says, it's a natural, necessary, fundamental acknowledgement of that divine being. Even if someone doesn't know who God is, we still have this natural thing that wants to cry out. And he will even say that many non-Christian religions and cultures will put Christians to shame in their diligence in prayer because they pray so much more than we do and we even know who God is. Jonathan Edwards said that God is sometimes pleased to answer the prayer of unbelievers, not because of any obligation, but strictly out of his pity and sovereign mercy. Because God is good. He is good. And we call that common grace. That common grace goes to all people. But in believers, we specifically have this thing called saving grace. We get to know who God is. Keller defines prayer like this. Personal, communicative response to the knowledge of God. That every single person on this planet has some form of knowledge of God available to them because we've been stamped with his image. And a lot of people are going to pray trying to respond and connect to that reality. Some people, again, it's no more than just calling for help. But calling for help, that does not mean salvation. It does not mean relationship with God. The common denominator is all human prayer is that we were made in God's image. But for us who know him, who have been saved by him, prayer should become a response about our knowledge of him. And the more that we know who he is, the better we understand who God is and what he has done, our prayers will begin to be altered. Because we understand who he is better. What we believe about God is going to affect the ways that we pray. Meaning, we have to know him with some sense of accuracy. Uh, John Calvin said that even though we all have that sensus divinitatis, that we all tend to try and refashion that in our own image. 
to make it all about ourselves, our own interests, our own desires. And this is why it's important for us to understand that God has given us his spirit and the scriptures so we can be corrected and clarified consistently with one another by what we read and see. Now, we're going to spend some time talking about that next week, what prayer isn't. And to do that, we got to see who God actually is in his person. So I think it'll be good for all of us. But prayer is a response to our knowledge of God. How we communicate is going to be a response to what we know about him. So this works out on two levels, obviously. Number one, so prayer is this human instinct. If someone doesn't know who God is at all, they reach out in this kind of general and unfocused sense of God. You can see that effort to communicate in a lot of different cultures, but it will never, ever become a real conversation while the knowledge of God is too vague. So the second level of that then is when we do come to surrender our lives to Christ, when we are saved, when we do trust him, when we understand that the true gift of God's spirit comes and regenerates us back to life again as we surrender to Christ. And as Christians, we believe that through the scripture and the power of the spirit, our understanding of God becomes fuller. It becomes deeper. Our relationship becomes different because the moment we are born again by the power of the gospel through faith in Christ, God's spirit moves us to understand that you are not just God's subjects. You are now God's children. And a relationship of a child with a father is much different than a king with his subject. Not that God is not a king, not that we aren't his subjects, but it's so much deeper than that. Galatians 4 verses 6 and 7 says, Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Abba is the most intimate form for dad in that culture because babies would make unintelligible noises. Abba, ba, ba, ba. He said, Dad! Ah, blah, 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 blah. ah, right? That, that's, what, that's what they would say. And they'd be like, but our relationship is not just meant to stay there. That might be where it starts. You might trust Christ and you don't know how to pray. You're like, oh, God, uh, and the, ah, blah, 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 right? God hears that. But then it grows deeper than that as you specifically learn more about who he is and his grace and what he has done throughout the course of the world, especially in light of the gospel. And this is why I think prayer should be accompanied always by reading our Bible. Because we get to hear what God is saying to us in written form, and we get to respond in prayer. And the reason why we're taking all this time to talk about prayer is like all things, prayer in the end is going to be responding to God. That God has first spoken to us with this spirit in his word. He has first sought us out. God is the initiator. God comes first or we would never reach out to him. And as we'll, like we'll talk about next week, but not all prayers are equally effective or the same in relating to God. The clearer our understanding of who God is, the fuller our prayers will become. Just like if you are in a relationship with somebody, the better you know that person, the better your communication will be. Does that make sense? Three of you. All right. <clears throat> Get the podcast listened again. Um, I used to call people's prayers in crisis flare prayers because it's like, help, and that flare would just kind of go off and shoot in the sky, asking God to come and help out, because that's kind of how it is. But deeper prayer, as a result of God's Spirit growing us, that's a gift. And it leads to genuine personal conversation. And again, that comes about by God's specific revelation. And I know, a lot of our prayers, even if you've been a Christian for a very long time, can still sound very superficial. It can, a lot, a lot of times we're just talking at God rather than listening to what he says. And this is why I think it's good to read your Bible and then pray and read your Bible a little more. And I'm not saying you got to pick up the Bible and go, okay, Leviticus. And you read the whole book, then you pray, and then, okay, Deuteronomy. And then you read Deuteronomy. No, you, <clears throat> read a little bit of the Gospels and then pray and say, God, this is amazing what you're showing me here. And then read a little bit more. Just come back to the idea that it is God who is leading you and you get to read it in his word. <clears throat> 
We must stop trying to make God in our image and realize that we are made in his. Uh, J.I. Packard wrote this book called Knowing God, and this is what he says. Knowing God is a matter of personal dealing. Knowing God is more than knowing about him. It is a matter of dealing with him as he opens up to you and being dealt with by him. He says, friends open their hearts to each other by what they say and do. We must not lose sight of the fact that knowing God is an emotional relationship as well as an intellectual and volitional one, meaning we make the decision that we want to be in a relationship with God. It is with our minds and what we know, but it's also with our emotions. They all come together. And he says, and could not indeed be a deep relationship between persons if it were not so. Christianity is really the only thing in the world that teaches how personal God is, that God is not part of creation. He has made creation. He has made us and yet steps into it to have a personal relationship with us. And he is the one who brings us back to himself. So I'm going to give you one more definition of prayer. This is in your booklets, and this is the one we're going to run with for the entire series, and this is it. Prayer is a continuing conversation that God has started through His Word and provided by His grace, which eventually becomes a full encounter with Him. How does prayer start? Prayer starts that God has first spoken to us. God has given us His Word. He has given us His Spirit. He has brought us back in relationship with Himself. And eventually, as we grow deeper in that, it becomes a full encounter with Him. And this is why the gospel for us becomes so important because the gospel reveals who God is to us in the most communicative way possible. According to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, Jesus is the word of God because there is no more comprehensive, personal, and beautiful communication of who God is. Uh, Keller pointed out, she goes, it's like looking at the sun. You go outside, you want to look at the sun, you stare at it, right? You're going to go blind after a little bit. Like someone takes a flashbulb, like, look, an hour later, you got that blue dot in the middle of your eye. So if we want to see what the sun is like, you have to look at it through a filter. You put a filter up, and then you see the flares, and you see the colors, and you see the flames of the sun. And this is kind of, in a sense, what Jesus does for us. We get to see the glory of God through the filter of who Christ is. Jesus shows us who God is in his fullness. We got to see all that he is because of who Christ is. And if you want to know who God is, you look at Jesus. That's what we do. And this is why when we pray, we say things like, in Jesus' name. Because through Jesus, we have relationship with God himself. John Knox once said that through Jesus, prayer becomes an earnest and familiar talking with God. And really, by the end of this series, that's what we want. We want us to all have this earnest and familiar talking with God, that we do see him as king, that he is majestic, that he is wonderful. And yet, we also get to see him as our father who has come to save us because we were lost children. And he has brought us back to himself in a very personal way. Ephesians 2, 18 and 21 says, For through him, Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. That means it is through Jesus. Guys, what we do when we want to understand who God is, is we look to Christ. That's what we do. And this will lead us to a place in prayer that we can have a deeper, intimate knowledge of who God is because we get to see him in the person of Christ. There is no truer representation of who God himself is than Christ because Jesus was God in the flesh. And this is why we worship him. He's revealed to us all that God has been doing to bring us back to himself. And if you want to step into a place where you begin to understand what real prayer actually is, what prayer is, it is that response to what God has already begun to do in us. And the more that we know who he is, the more intimate our prayers will then become. 
And so then I would encourage you today to start thinking about who God is. How has God revealed himself to you? That is like really big right in front of me, by the way. Sorry. You <laughs> uh, uh, didn't rehearse that. You no, know, right there, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like. <laughs> I can make fun of Mark Mark because I get to know him better and better. <laughs> I would encourage you to start praying and asking God to reveal himself to you in just these new ways that you would see these new things in the scriptures as you begin to read them, as you talk to one another, as you meet in your gospel communities or QCGs, that God would reveal himself in such a way that you would start to communicate in ways that are deeper and fuller. That you would understand that he has first communicated with us through his word, through his spirit, and that we then get to respond in kind that this grace we've been given draws us into relationship with him. And this is one of the reasons every week we come to this place of communion, where you, <clears throat> where you break that cracker, like Christ's body was broken for us, and you dip it in the wine or the grape juice, because it reminds us it was blood that was shed, that Jesus showed us who God is in his rescue and salvation of, of us. Yet in the Old Testament, you have all of these laws that were put there to specifically show us that we can never reach salvation on our own. We cannot be perfect. We cannot make it on our own. And so God comes. And he pays for our sins and draws us back to himself in himself. And this is what we remember in communion, that God has come to us in an intimate way in Christ to bring us back to relationship with himself. If you need prayer today, maybe you're still totally confused. Well, that's great. You've got 12 more weeks of this. We're going to figure it out as we go. But if you want someone to pray for you today, over in the lounge right across the way, because sometimes people are like, it's kind of weird going to talk to somebody in the back of the room and the music is going. Well, if you want prayer, they're going to be right across the way, and it'll be an easier way to kind of be able to do that. And they love to pray with you about anything that you're going through today, even if it's just understanding better the intimacy of the relationship that God wants to have with you. Uh, we are people who give because God gave so much to us, so giving is part of our worship. We don't pass a plate. That's why there's offering boxes around the room on the doors. It's a response, just like prayer becomes a response to God first initiating with us. And I really hope that you will connect with some people over the next weeks and, and months and, those, and take those questions in those journals and talk to one another about them about how God is moving in you. Maybe the things that you are still unsure about. Maybe the things you have questions about. And maybe we'll even answer those during this series. But we want to be a people who get a better picture of who God is and how God has first communicated with us so that we would be a people who communicate and worship Him because God has first communicated and been committed to us. So let's be a people who are committed to Him. Let's pray. Father, this morning we, we thank You for being so gracious and good that quite frankly, I don't think we even really understand it. That I think even now, as we talk about prayer, there's still all these questions of, yeah, but what about this or, or, or what about that? And I ask that you would come and begin to calm those questions and calm those fears and let us begin to be people who first focus upon you, who hear how you have spoken to us in deep ways and that we would then respond by communicating back with you. And, and God, for some people, it may be the, the first step of just abba, ba 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 and they don't really know what to say, and so they're just kind of crying out, and yet you hear us in those moments. And I ask that we then would also grow to have a deeper conversation with you, where we start to share everything about our lives and all that we go through. 
whether it's something at home or something at work or something inside of ourselves that we are even just dissatisfied about because we cannot believe we react and respond sometimes the way that we do. And yet through all of that, it would teach us to understand your grace and that our communication with you wouldn't stop, but would grow deeper and fuller as we understand that, yes, you are the great God who has made everything. And yet you also call yourself Father by the most intimate terms possible. So teach us to be those who also today understand your majesty, but also your deep intimacy with us. That you have called us to yourself. And we live as a people who glorify you in all things. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So as they drop the blinds, I'm just going to ask you to take a couple moments as we go through a couple songs. And if you are somebody who has a really hard time hearing God talking to you, ask God to begin to reveal himself to you in various ways. Uh, read the scriptures. Look at the, the Bible and see what God has directly said in those words. Ask God's Spirit to kind of move you in a place where you feel His prompting and leading, and you wouldn't shut that down. We'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, but I don't, I don't like that. I, you would listen and say, God, where are you leading me this week to hear you and respond to you? And take a few moments right now just to respond to Him. And then come and take communion and then sing some songs. Then we'll head out into this world, hopefully as a people who have kind of our first step in this journey of understanding a deeper intimacy with who God is.